Hi. Hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming back. Hey, baby. Hey. We're back. We are back. This is Criminally Disturbed, by the way, if you didn't know who you were clicking on. And we have another episode for you. Jamie does anyway. Yes. We just got done recording my episode of Tommy Lynn's Sales. Mm -hmm. That one comes with a huge disclaimer with trigger in all caps and surrounded by explanation points. So if you haven't heard that one, go take a listen to that one. But for right now, my beautiful wife is going to bring us a story about someone who has done something or a place or some people. I don't know. But before we get into that, I just wanted to kind of remind everybody of our email address, cdisturbedpodcast at gmail.com. And our Facebook page is Criminally Disturbed. And our Instagram is Criminally Disturbed Podcast. And uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you about the the newspaper articles and things that we read. Uh, we read you a few in my episode about the Austin Axe murders. And Jamie read you a few uh, we have actually both read you a few mm -hmm. in Jamie's episode of the Stephen Plato Plato episode, and uh, some of them were kind of odd. Some of them <laughs> were just really random, and some right. of them were kind of funny. They had a little bit of a jovial, yeah, uh, I, I, you know, to them, jovial uh, thought and I to them. I try to find some that were funny, some that were like. I can't believe they printed this in the paper. Right. And then, you know. Or the, mine, like in mine, it was like, I can't believe they printed this in this spot. Right. In the paper. So go and uh, take a listen to those. And we, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to get into possibly another, just a like a well, one episode or a couple. I mean, we could probably do several. Right. Because there's just, a lot of newspapers. Right. Just dedicated to that just reading some funny or some weird or some weirdly placed or random articles yeah that were in the the papers from the 1800s early 1900s because i'm gonna tell you something they didn't give a shit back then they did not so let us know what you think about that at our email address see disturbed podcast at gmail.com and uh, let us know if you'd like to hear more of those. Yeah. So, without further ado, my beautiful wife will take the stage from here. Okay. Trigger warning. Oh, shit. It's it's pretty. Mm. I, I don't think it's going to top the one you did, but. I don't think anybody out there that, that we've done or we've heard of or anything like that that tops the one uh, that did. I'll never do an, another one that involves children. Mm-hmm. That one was horrible. I thought I could get through it without showing emotion. I could not. Kids, that's it's horrible to me. So, anyway, trigger warning? Yes. Okay. Okay. My source is... <laughs> for Sources? This, yeah, sources. Uh, one is a book titled Fiend by Harold Schechter. Okay. And, of course, newspapers.com. There you go. We're going to go to the way, way back. How far back? We are going to start in 1871. 
I remember that year. Do you? I do. Okay. Did you time travel way back then? Or no. time traveled from then? I, I was a young lad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you old as hell then. <laughs> we are in Chelsea, Massachusetts. Okay. So there were... <laughs> I don't, I'm sorry. I think you were waiting on me to respond to I the was. whole Chelsea. I don't know anything about Massachusetts. Okay. So I'm sorry to our Massachusetts listeners, and I do know that we have some listeners in Massachusetts. I want to go there so bad. I do, too. I, I definitely want to go to Massachusetts. I'm sorry. I do not know anything about Chelsea, Massachusetts. Okay. So, sorry. Okay. I did not have a response in that awkward silence. Okay. Two men... Their identities have been lost over time because, I mean, this is back in 1871. They're on a hill, and they hear the crying of a child. So they're like, where is that coming from? And they figured out that it's coming from a structure that was on top of Powder Powder Horn Hill. Powder Horn Hill. Yeah. So they find where it's coming from. They go to it, and they find a half-naked boy. And they figured he was about three or four. He was dangling from a roof beam from a rope that was tied around his wrist. Oh, shit. Yeah. He had huge welts that were covering his back. Oh, no. So the men cut him down, and and the child was able to tell them that his name is Billy Payne. The men located his home, and they returned Billy to his parents. Of course, his parents called the police. Okay. But there wasn't really any solid information to go on because obviously this is a young child right. that is in distress. So at that point, they didn't really have anything to go on. But his parents did call the police like concerned. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, did they just return him back to the people that put him in that position? You see what I'm saying? Oh, You just okay. don't know. Oh, okay. Well, I would assume that Billy probably told them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well. Again, he's three or four. Right. On February 21st of 1872, so we're a couple of months down the road, police were summoned to the Hayden home. And when police get there, there's a small group of neighbors that have already gathered out front. So the police go in the house, and Mr. Hayden is sitting in the parlor of the house, and he's surrounded by five of his six children. And none of his children are older than 12. So the police are like, what's going on? And he tells the police that his son, Tracy, who was seven, had been lured to an abandoned outhouse by an older boy and attacked. So the police go to the bedroom, and Tracy's laying in the bed, and Mrs. Hayden is in there, you know, taking care of Tracy because they've sent for the doctor, but the doctor hadn't made it there yet. So I guess they sent for the doctor and the police at the same time. So they're waiting on a doctor. The police go in there. Tracy is laying on his stomach because he had welts across his back. His eyes were swollen. His nose was broken. His upper lip was split. And two of his front teeth had been knocked out. Tracy, in the papers, was described as a, a almost deaf mute. So I don't know what it means by almost. So he was disabled already. Right. So when the police were questioning them, it was kind of hard for them to get information out of him. What they could get out of him was that he had been playing in the street when an older boy came up to him and asked him if he wanted to go to Powder Horn Hill to see the soldiers. 
So the older boy led him to an abandoned outhouse, which was where the previous child was found. The older boy put a handkerchief inside Tracy's mouth and he tied his hands and feet to an exposed beam that was at the top of the outhouse. He then beat Tracy with a hard stick. And when the older boy finished, he told Tracy, you stay in this outhouse all night or I'm going to kill you. So the older boy left. Tracy waited for several hours and then he kind of peeked outside the door of the outhouse. And when he seen that the older boy wasn't around, he drug himself to Broadway Street. And I don't know if he was trying to make it specifically there or just trying to get to a street. And that's where he was found by somebody and they took him to his house. And of course, police were called. That is so horrific. Yeah. May 20th of 1872, eight-year-old Robert Meyer was approached by an older boy and asked if he would like to go see Barnum's Circus. Now, I didn't know that Barnum's Circus was around that far back. They were. Wow. Yeah, they were. That is crazy, isn't it? It is. (laughs) So, Meyer agreed. Now, that was Barnum. That wasn't Barnum and Bailey's. So, they... Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the word? Mixed. They eventually collabed. There you go. I was trying to say they mixed. <laughs> <laughs> they eventually like say, hey, you got a good thing. I got a good thing. Let's get together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's mix your critters with my critters. Yeah, you got these critters. I got these critters. We can, with our critters together. Make a lot more money. Yes, right. We mm-hmm. can have a bigger, bigger show. There you go. Your big top and my big top, we can have a big top. (laughs) So Meyer agreed, and the older boy led him toward Powderhorn Hill. Mm. The older boy stripped off Meyer's clothing and shoved a milk cork in his mouth. Okay. You know, so milk milk jugs that the milkman used to deliver, you know, they had a big opening. Yeah. You know, they had an hourglass looking. They had the big cork and stuff. That was a big cork. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that made him get. Oof. I couldn't stand that to be in my mouth. I know. Yeah. Especially since it had hot milk on it. Ew. Well, it was probably dirty anyways. It well, was yeah. probably in this fool's pocket. Right. Meyer was tied to a post using a clothesline, and he was whipped with a stick by the older boy. And then the older boy then began to, like, please himself through his coveralls after he beat Meyer. And after he pleased himself through his coveralls, he released Meyer. Just released him. Let him go. So over the next few weeks, police were would question hundreds of boys because they know it's an older boy. They just don't really know the age range. So he's not killing anyone. No. Oh, and he's pleasuring himself yes okay the attacker was described as a young man with fiery red hair (laughs) pale skin arched eyebrows and a pointy chin with a wispy red beard and i don't know what wispy means maybe just like a little bit there i don't know kind of like mine that no that's not wispy So, parents warned their children to watch out for somebody of that description. Okay. On July 22nd, 1872, seven-year-old Johnny Balk had been playing street games 
when he decided he needed to head home for supper. So he's on his way home and he stops at the the toy shop. It was called, I guess, Polly's, maybe Polly's toy, toy shop. And he's looking in the window at the toys, you know, because he's seen something he wanted and he's trying to figure out how he's going to make money. <laughs> so while he's looking, someone taps him on the shoulder and it's an older boy and he's like hey how would you like to make two bits and johnny said the stranger did not have red head red hair or a beard so he wasn't worried about him so johnny's like yeah i can make two bits to go toward this toy i want so he's like sure yeah so he's seven he's seven he's already thinking about how can i make this money you know, kids were different back then. I'm just saying. They didn't have their hands out like, uh, I want uh, this toy, get it. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying. He was not entitled. Different values. Right. Wow. So Johnny's like, yeah, I want two bits. I'm trying to save up for this toy I want. So the older boy's like, okay, well, I'm going to take you to this man, and he's going to give you the money. So they walk toward Powderhorn Hill. Oh my God. And the strange uh, older boy grabbed Johnny by the shirt and pulled him into the outhouse. Now, you keep saying outhouse. Yeah. Is this an outhouse proper? Like, when I think about an outhouse, I thought of a shitter house. Yeah, yeah. But when I seen it described, I mean, it was used like as an outhouse, but it was like bigger than like the outhouses bigger, we've seen. Yeah, because, you know, you know, our little. Yeah. Our, yeah. That's what I think when I think an outhouse. Just mm-hmm. a three foot by three foot square little deal that you go in and you sit down and do mm-hmm. your business and come on out. But this is not that. This is something because you said it had like exposed beams. And right. They were, he was yeah. hanging kids from it. And it's like, yeah. well, that's not an outhouse. That's more like a, a shed. Well, yeah. Yeah, and I know I, it's not. It's, you're not giving it that name. I mean, I, right. I know you're reading it, but it's like they could have, they could have just called it a shed. And maybe that's what they called outhouse sheds mm. back then. I don't know. I don't know. So the stranger ripped off Johnny's clothes, tied his wrists together, and hung him from the roof beam. The strange, the older boy took off his belt and beat Johnny's back chest belly thighs buttocks and genitals with the belt oh my god when he was finished he undid the rope and he the boy as he was leave older boy as he was leaving he told johnny if you leave i'll come back and i'll slit your throat so johnny laid on the floor of that outhouse for two hours when frank kane who was 10 by the way was passing by and heard Johnny crying. So Frank helped Johnny get dressed and he carried him to the city marshal's office. And when they got there, a physician was called and an officer an officer was sent to notify Johnny's parents. This time, the attack was put in the newspaper because the other attacks were not put in the paper. Okay. There was a $500 reward for the arrest and the conviction of the miscreant or Mis- miscreants. Uh. And the strain, the older boy, the stranger, becomes known as the boy torturer. Uh. That's a lot of R's. That's going to be hard to say. Torturer. 
<laughs> so now this has finally hit the papers. Yeah. And there's a woman by the name of Ruth Pomeroy. She's 33 and she's sitting at her kitchen table. She just read about the incidents in the newspaper. Ruth was described as having a heavy jaw, a jutting brow, narrow eyes, and a sullen mouth. And a, and a what mouth? Sullen. Maybe frowning. So Yeah. So she kind of is like the female me. Yeah. Because it says she could have easily passed for a man. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. She had always struggled to make ends meet, and her and her husband, Thomas, had recently split up. Okay. and Probably because she looked like a man. <laughs> well, the reason why they recently split up is because their younger son, they have two sons, their younger son, Jesse, who is age 12, ran away from home following an argument with his father, Thomas. Thomas tracked Jesse down. And when he got him home, he stripped off all of Jesse's clothes and beat him with the belt. So Ruth came home and she saw Jesse's back. So she's like, I've had enough of this. Because apparently he's done this before, but there wasn't a lot of details about the incident before this. So she flew into a rage. She went and got a knife from the kitchen and she was going to stab Thomas. So he left. He just up and left the family. So now it's just Ruth and her two boys that she's going to be taken care of. So this guy did this to Jesse? Uh-huh. Okay. Who was 12. He's 12. 12. Okay. And she's sitting there thinking, and she's like, well, you know, Jesse's always been kind of difficult. He was constantly getting in trouble. At the Winthrop Grammar School, he got in trouble because he tossed a firecracker into a group of boys. During recess. What's wrong with that? I, he sometimes stole small sums of money from his mother. I mean, Mom, come on now. <laughs> he was always running away from home or playing hooky because he didn't want to go to school. I did, too. And she thought of the time where she had came home one afternoon a few years earlier. She had recently bought two canaries. And when she got home, they were at the bottom of their cage with their heads twisted completely off i've never owned canaries or birds of any sort so you lost me there yeah and then she's and then she's also thinking poor jesse he's always made an easy target for people because of his appearance how about that appearance oh, i'm getting there his right eye was described as an albino eye what does that mean it means the pupil i don't know if that's like the Obviously, that's not the scientific description oh. of it, I wouldn't think. Okay. Um, maybe that's just what they called it back then. But the pupil was covered with a pale film. And there were different accounts as to why his eye was like that. He wasn't born like that. Mm -hmm. um, some of the different accounts are one source said he developed cataracts soon after birth. Whoa. Dang. Yeah. Okay. Another source said that a severe childhood illness left him with corneal scars. All right. Um, another source, he, his eye became ulcerated from a facial infection. Another was he had a violent reaction to a smallpox vaccination. So 
I don't know. Take your pick. It could be any of those. Yeah. But it's just that right eye. Mm. So people and supposedly his own father could barely look at that eye without shuddering. Really? Like it creeped people out. Wow. So it must have been like, ooh. Mm. He was also described as having a massive head. <laughs> it's like, why are y'all talking about well, these people damn. like this? Was this in the newspaper? This no, this part was in a book. Okay. This part was in the book. So this kid has a big head and a and a weird eye. A heavy jaw and an oversized mouth. A heavy jaw and an oversized mouth? Yeah. Is it, okay. <laughs> I know. That's kind of a weird description. It is. I don't know. Who, it kind of makes me think cavemanish. Ah, okay. Like a Neanderthal type. Kinda. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, you know who else was like that? Who? Andre the Giant. Oh. What was the disease that he had? Oh, I forgot. But it was it was the reason why he was so big. Yeah. Jesse don't have that. Oh, okay. Yeah, he don't get real big like that. He just wasn't blessed genetically, I don't guess. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Jesse was also described as eccentric and peculiar. All right. Instead of playing baseball with the other boys, he would sit on the grass and stick his knife in the grass. Just sitting there sticking his knife in the grass. Wait, wait. He's got a knife? He's got a pocket knife. At what age? Twelve. Okay. That's not bad. I was thinking to say, back then, it really... Nah. Yeah. He didn't play on the playground when other boys were out there playing. He would sit in, his, in the grass and stick his knife in it. He just likes sticking his knife in the grass. I mean, you know. The only game that he would join in is when they played Scouts and Indians. Okay, you're taking it a little bit too far now. Jesse would excessively talk about Indian torture. Like torturing Indians or yeah, like how the torturing, Indians tortured? No, like torturing the Indians, like catching them. and. Okay, buddy. Yeah. And... and he went into detail, but I didn't include that in no, here. Yeah. There's no sense in it. Yeah. So, so as Ruth is sitting at her kitchen table, she starts becoming worried about Jesse, but it's not because she's worried about, oh, he could, you know. Oh, she's worried about him being one of the victims. She, no, she's not worried about him being the victim. She's worried about him being accused. Oh, because he's got these afflictions right uh. so on august the 2nd of 1872 ruth and the boys moved to south boston okay yeah that's in the uh bennington triangle is it south boston okay in that area anyway so they moved on august the 2nd we're on august the 17th okay george pratt became the fifth known victim of the boy torturer. George was described as a frail seven-year-old who had recently recovered from the German measles. He was walking along the beach along South Boston Bay. He was searching for any treasures that might have washed up on the shore. An older boy came up beside him and told George, hey, I need help with an errand. And he's like, and if you help me with this errand, I'll pay you 25 cents. So George is like, yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So George is led to an abandoned boathouse. 
When they get there, the older boy struck George on the side of the head and then forced a handkerchief into George's mouth, obviously, so he can't be heard. He stripped George naked, bound his wrist and ankles with two pieces of cord. Then the older boy told George, you have told three lies. And it never went into detail about what he supposedly lied about. Um, This is just going from George's account. And he's told him, I'm going to lick you three times. Now, when I read that, I'm like, so you're finna no. lick this kid? He's fixing, no, he's going to hit him with right. something. Yeah. yeah, and I figured that out. But when I first read it, I was like, are you going to lick him like on his cheek yeah, or something? Yeah, that's what, I mean, as soon as you said it, that my mind went, you know, immediately right there. Like, he's fixing to lick this kid? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. He's going to give him some licks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The older boy took off his leather belt and began beating George with the buckle oh of the belt. Oh, my God. He then began to kick George in the head, in the stomach, and between his legs. He then dug his fingernails into George's upper body and raked them across George's abdomen abdomen in his chest. Mm. He then put a chunk of flesh from George's cheek. Damn. Yeah. This one's a rough one. When George began to lose consciousness, the older boy slapped him awake. So when George wakes up, he sees that the older boy is holding a long sewing needle. Oh, no. He jabs George in the arm, the chest, in his wounded cheek where he had done bit the flesh from him, and into his groin. His what? Groin. His groin. Groin. Sorry. (laughs) I've always called it groin. No. (laughs) I've always called it that. Laugh at me, you asshole. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What's growing? <laughs> what? What? Something's growing? What is it? Okay. <laughs> Let me start over from. <laughs> asshole. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've always called it growing. You've never noticed that? No. I've, I've never heard you say it. Oh. You never had to. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm going to start over with that sentence. Let's. <laughs> Please do. He jabbed George in the arm, the chest, and his wounded cheek because, you know, he had bit the flesh off right. of his cheek. That sucks. And into his genitals. Mm. The older boy then tried to pry George's right eyelids apart. And George has obviously, like, got his eyes clamped shut so the boy couldn't get them, like, open. So, instead, the boy bit a piece of flesh out of George's right buttock. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. This this kid is disturbed. When the older boy left, he told George that he must stay there all night. So earlier before this happened, there had been a group of kids that had been playing on the boat. So a 10-year-old girl had co- actually come back because she had lost her handkerchief. So she gets comes on the boat and she finds George there tied up and naked. So she unties him and she tries to help get him dressed as much as she could. And she took George to his parents. Okay. Now, could you imagine a 10-year-old girl coming upon this? Oh, horrific scene. And in this day and age, a girl, you know, she would have been a just, you know, 
And then luckily she didn't come back when this was going on. Right. Horrified. Just, I can't imagine what she, you know, what nightmares she had after this. Right. So now the public is losing patience with the police. They're like, why ain't y'all done caught who's doing this? And people are like, we want to create a vigilance committee. Do it. Right? People thought, they're thinking that whoever this boy torturer is, he's got to have like a mental deficiency. Oh, yeah. For sure. So the police rounded up every half-witted boy in greater Boston. That was (laughs) the words of one newspaper. Half-witted. Half-witted. Okay. And they brought them in for questioning. Needless to say... They didn't find who they were looking for because our boy is not half-witted. He's actually very smart. He just looks half-witted. He just... (laughs) Yeah. I would say bless his heart, but I don't want to bless his heart. Right. Yeah. On September the 5th of 1872, six-year-old Harry Austin was taken to a spot beneath a railroad bridge in South Boston. His clothes were stripped off, and he was beaten. This time, the older boy pulled out a pocket knife, and this was the first time he used a knife. Okay. He stabbed Harry under each arm and between his shoulder blades. He then tried to cut Harry's penis off. Oh, my God. That is horrific. Yeah. I don't know who found Harry and how Harry got home. There wasn't anything about that. On September the 11th, Seven-year-old Joseph Kennedy was lured to a vacant boathouse near the salt marshes of South Boston Bay. Now, I don't know if it was the same boathouse where the previous child was. Right. It didn't say. Joseph's head was slammed against a wall, and he was stripped naked. Joseph was beat so severely that his nose was broken, and several of his teeth were knocked out. Oh, man. The boy torturer then pulled out his pocket knife and slashed Joseph on his face from his eye to his jawbone. Oh, my God. Then he cut him on his back and his thighs. And then when he was done with that, he drug Joseph down to the marsh and doused his wounds with salt water. Oh, man. This this kid, you know, is just diabolical. Yeah. Mm. Evil. Yeah. On September the 17th, five-year-old Robert Gould had been playing near his house when a bigger boy asked if he wanted to go see soldiers marching in a parade. Robert agreed, and he was led to the railroad line. They had walked a a distance Mm -hmm. when the older boy suddenly turned and, like, kind of jumped on the child. He ripped off Robert's clothes and tied him to a pole. This time, the older boy pulled out two knives and slashed Robert on the head, under his eyes, and behind each ear. Then he placed the knife against Robert's throat, and he said, You will never see your mother and father anymore, you stinking little bastard, for I'm going to kill you. Well, about that time, the older boy heard people approaching, so he dropped his knife and he ran. Oh, shit. So three railroad three railroad workers actually came up, and they found Robert limp and naked. Mm. They carried him to police station six, and a physician was called, obviously. Now, here's, a, here's something a little different when 
when Robert, who was five, was questioned by an officer, he described his assailant as a big bad boy with a funny eye. Now, this is the first description that is mentioned, the eye. Yeah. And the officer's like, what do you mean by a funny eye? And Robert was like, Robert apparently loved to play marbles. So he said that the assailant had an eye like a, a milky. Now, I don't know if this is a term that's used for these kind of marbles or maybe this was, you know, Robert's term. But a marble that is all white is what Robert was calling a milky. Mm-hmm. So authorities are like, aha. So now we got somebody with a milky eye. So they they decide, okay, so we know it's a, a younger man, obviously school aged. We're going to start going school to school because we're going to find this person with this milky eye. Mm-hmm. So on September the 21st, Officer Bragdon took Joseph Kennedy, one, one of the little ones, to the schools and they showed up, actually showed up in Jesse's school. So what they would do is Joseph would stand up at the front of the classroom with the officer and he would look at all the boys sitting in the classroom. Right. So while they're in Jesse's room, Jesse's staring down at his desk. Well, his teacher noticed and she's like, hold your head up, Jesse. (laughs) I don't know that that's how she sounded. Direct quote. (laughs) I just pictured that she sounded like that, but she probably didn't. She probably sounded more, you know, Boston-ish. Right. So... So she told him to hold his head up, so he held his head up, but what he did was he kept looking down with his eyes, so the boy was never able to actually see his eyes, so mm. Joseph's like, he's not in here, so, you know, Jesse got away with it at that moment, but that evening, when he's on his way home from school, he decides to go by the police station, Jesse does. And he goes to the police station and he walks in and he sees Officer Bragdon and Joseph Kennedy there. And then he's like, eh. So Jesse turned and he left. Well, he didn't make it more than a block when Officer Bragdon had actually caught up with him and stopped him. And he took Jesse back to the police station and put him right in front of Joseph Kennedy. And Joseph was like, that's him. I know him by his eye. So they locked Jesse in a cell. Officer Bragdon and one of his colleagues named William Martin grilled Jesse for several hours. Jesse didn't budge, and he actually got so aggravated by them grilling him that he told them to go away, and he stopped talking to them. So officers are like, okay. So they left him in a cell, and they went to his mama's house. And Ruth was told that Jesse was under arrest as a suspect for the child assaults. And Ruth is like, Jesse couldn't have done that. He's only 12. He's a good boy. And he's hardworking at school. And then she's like, well, can I go see him? And they told her, nah, you can't go see him. Okay. Yeah, it might have been different back then. It must have been. Yeah. So they left. Ruth's house they get back to the police station it's about midnight Bragdon and Martin return to Jesse's cell and they're going to start questioning him again well Bragdon was cursing and threatening Jesse which caused Jesse to cry and at this point I'm like what the fuck you crying for right you know you don't deserve to cry but anyways 
So Martin, Officer Martin sees this and he goes in there and he takes Jesse in his lap and, you know, he's trying to do the good cop part. And he's like, Jesse, if you don't confess, you could end up in prison for a hundred years. Wow. And Jesse's like, okay, I did it. I'm the torturer. I don't know that that's how, I mean, I know that's how it went down, but I don't know all the words that were said. Yeah. That was just. But he did say he would end up in prison for 100 years. He did tell him that. Mm-hmm. On September the 21st of 1872, Jesse was transferred to the tombs where five of his victims were actually brought in front of him. Johnny Balk said, that's the boy who cut me when he seen Jesse. Tracy Hayden, Harry Austin, George Pratt, and Robert Gould all confirmed that Jesse was their attacker. So, that afternoon, they're going to trial. Oh, shit. That moved quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're going to trial. All five of the boys testified against him. His mama, Ruth, testified. You know, they let her testify as to his good attributes. Character witness. Yeah. And she said that he was a good boy who had never demonstrated the slightest tendency toward cruel behavior. What about them canaries? Right. Okay. So they asked Jesse himself, why do you do, why do you do these awful things? And he tells them, I can't help myself. Okay. So the judge, William G. Forsyth, sentenced Jesse to be confined to the House of Reformation at Westboro for the term of his minority, which was going to be six years. So the Massachusetts House of Reformation was established in the town of Westboro in 1847. Okay. It combined the features of a prison, a sweatshop, and a vocational school. All the things you want in a prison. Right. Some of the words in its official charter were that they would reform through instruction and employment so that when discharged the boy... Hold on. They would reform through instruction and employment. So when discharged, the boys could enter a normal relationship with society. Okay. I get it. I'm sure they need that. Yeah. Well, Jesse figured out the sooner that he could prove that he was reformed, he would be released. So his teachers and supervisors there said oh he's a model inmate like he did his schoolwork. he did a good job he was eventually uh kind of positioned as kind of a, a leader for some of the other boys really yeah because he figured out if he minds his p's and q's he's going to get out sooner mm. as soon as jesse was sent there his mother ruth started petitioning for his release so she would write numerous letters to the board of trustees at Westboro and she would say Jesse was innocent he was too young to have possibly done any of those atrocities and they would he was being basically a scapegoat since they had only moved to South Boston only a few months earlier and that's when it started in right. South Boston and it happened in Chelsea too uh-huh yeah in January of 1874, her letters finally 
started no. getting their attention. Come on now. So they sent an investigator by the name of Gardner Tufts. That's hard to say. Yeah. T-U-F-T-S. Tufts. Who was an agent of the State Board of Charities. He was sent to evaluate the condition of the Pomeroy household. And he was very impressed by Jesse's mother. He said that she struck him as an honest, hardworking woman. And he also said that Jesse's older brother, Charles, was a thrifty and, and diligent young man because he ran a newsstand and he also delivered newspapers. I'll be down. So it sounds like he's got his shit in order. Entrepreneur. Yeah. Jesse's mother also promised to keep her son under close supervision if they let him out. And Tufts is like, okay, well, let me go interview the police captain. So he did. He went and talked to Captain Dyer of Station 6, which was in South Boston. And Dyer said, it isn't best to be down on a boy too hard or too long. Give him a chance to redeem himself. Or prove you wrong. Right. So on February the 6th of 1874, Jesse Harding Pomeroy was sent home and his release was unnoted by the newspapers. So, I mean, there were some, there were some elements of abuse in this, in these cases Mm -hmm. that were, that seemed to me to be sexual in nature. Mm -hmm. And so I guess they just, I mean, um, if that happened today, even though it was a 12-year-old boy, he would be deemed not a pedophile, but like a sexual abuser. Mm-hmm. And would he be put on the register? I don't you know. See, you see what I'm saying? It's like, would they consider that? I don't know if you have to be like an adult, like yeah. 18 and over to be. So when you said this wasn't released to the papers, I'm thinking... So they're not they're not letting anybody know that this violent abuser and sexual abuser is being released. Exactly. Ugh. And that's where we're gonna stop for this episode. Oh, oh shit. It's multi parter. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh. Because we're gonna next episode we're gonna pick up with when he got out. <laughs> Okay, I did not know this was going to be a multi-parter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well. I figured this would be a good part to stop it at. You know, you said that he was smart. Yeah. Bright, very bright. Yeah. But he walked into the police station. Yeah, that like I said, that part I didn't understand. It kind of said in the book, maybe he was feeling guilty. They didn't really know why. And... This time, I'm trying not to go into it too much, cause, but at this time, you know, they didn't have, like, serial killers right, or, right. like, all these different names for what he possibly could have been, but they said it was kind of like, um, I don't think they called him a psychopath. They called him something else, but, you know, would, like, like to go kind of live on the edge or whatever like go back to oh, the scene like of a, a crime like or, a uh, adrenaline adrenaline junkie right and they're thinking well maybe it was that i got you they weren't thinking that back then but the thrill of yeah yeah wow a kid 
12. That came up with all this to, to treat these kids. But but you said that he was abused. By his father. The, the, pretty much the same way. Yeah. Wow. And it's just crazy. Like in the second part, I'll have like actually more from newspapers.com. And it's like crazy some of the stuff they were saying about. Because like I said, they didn't have like, oh, he was a psychopath or this. It was like everybody kind of sitting on the couch speculating oh i think it's because he did this or and yeah your your mind's gonna be blown that's monday morning monday morning quarterbacking yes i mean what does run through the mind of these of a kid that's 12 years old and makes him do the things that he does you know is he is he just acting out what the violence that has become him on these it other sounds kids. like it kind of has kind of a sexual aspect to it because of where he. Well, like, that's kind of where I was going. Yeah. Was it done to him? Oh, I don't know. See, that's what I'm saying. You know, he's acting out kind of the same thing that was hap- that was being done to him by his dad. Was there any sexual nature to that? You know, but look again, like I say. You can't get into the mind of people like these. No. You know, like this, because, you know, you, they're a special kind of fucked up in the head. Mm-hmm. So it's like. They don't think the same way No, we that's do. what I'm saying. I mean, you know, I, I'm a pretty analytical thinker, and I think about things as you're telling a story, and, I, and you know, I jump ahead a lot mm-hmm. and start trying to analyze, okay, what's this person doing? What's he thinking? And I can't do it. So anyway. Well, so, surprise, that is part one Yes. of the Jesse Pomeroy case. Surprise to me, anyway. So, stay tuned for part two. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to get some other ones uploaded quickly and try to get these out to you. And uh, until those next episodes, I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And please join us next time. And remember to stay disturbed. Bye. Bye.